0: Welcome to episode 77 of the Women's Running Podcast. I'm your host, Esther Newman, and in this episode, I speak to Paula Radcliffe. I don't even try to be contained in my excitement. For me, Paula is probably my biggest running hero. There have always been exciting women runners, but I have always been drawn to the marathon, and particularly the London Marathon as my home city. Paula's record-breaking win in 2003 is something I think will always stay with me as not only a highlight in the world of athletics, but an inspiration for women everywhere. So I was a bit giddy to be speaking to her, and I hope you don't mind about that. We talk about her marathon achievements and what it was like to nab that record on that day. We also talked about what it felt like to have that record taken 17 years later. I also ask her about her first love, cross-country, what she loves about it and why she keeps returning to it, and also her thoughts on equal distances for men and women in that sport. We have a chat about RunFest Run, the running festival she's been an integral part of since its inception, how meaningful it is as a concept to combine a festival about running, family and fun, how much her own children have loved it and what she's looking forward to this year. But look, I'll stop banging on now because it's Paula and she is lovely. This episode is sponsored by Run For All. This year, set yourself the ultimate running challenge and join the thousands of runners who will be taking to the streets of York on Sunday, 16th of October for the Yorkshire Marathon. This popular and picturesque marathon takes participants past some of York's most historic sites, and along scenic country lanes and you'll never be far from the locals who will be out in force to cheer you along with that famous Yorkshire spirit. So whether you're hoping for PB potential or aiming to tick running a marathon off your bucket list, fundraising for a special cause or hoping to increase your fitness levels, the 2022 Yorkshire Marathon is the event for you. If you're not quite ready to tackle a marathon, you can also try the Yorkshire 10 Mile taking place on the same day this popular event will allow you to experience the atmosphere and sights of the Yorkshire Marathon while tackling a shorter distance. Enter today by visiting runforall.com. If you enjoy this podcast, you will love Women's Running Magazine. Right now, you can become a member of Women's Running Plus, which includes a subscription to the magazine and tons of great benefits for just 9 every three months, Saving a third off the cover price. Just go to shop.women'srunning.co.uk and enter Feb 22 WR Pod at the checkout. I can't believe I'm talking to you I'm having a bit of a moment I just told my dad I'm speaking to Paula Radcliffe this morning and he was just like oh my god and I've just been, I've come back from um uh, the National Running Show where I was sneakily trying to take pictures of Steve Cram as well <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> who I remember watching on the track like in 82 or 3 or yeah. something it, it, in Crystal Palace because I'm Southeast London uh, mm-hmm. was then and um so it just I feel like I've had a bit of a Running Royalty weekend. that's all very exciting I'm so sorry I used to go down
1: to (laughs) Crystal Palace for those meets as well I can because we were just in Bedford so we used to drive down uh, and watch those I can remember queuing for hours for Peter Elliott's autograph (laughs) did
0: you I just I remember just sneaking past Steve Cranston seeing him he was so kind of um obviously visible I think he had curly blonde hair so we were just like oh yeah (laughs) oh my god (laughs) but now and now hasn't really changed much he hasn't I don't think I, (laughs) I couldn't sneak a photograph of him without him noticing so I I just had to hope that my dad kind of believed me that I'd been sort of vaguely he it, it. I'm sure he <laughs> would. Um but thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. And no um, problem at all. I hope you don't mind if I kind of gabble my words slightly because of this. I, no. <laughs> I've been in this job for like three years and I never thought for one minute that I'd get to talk to you. So I am absolutely thrilled to bits. So um anyway it's lovely. Um so I mean I guess the you know the, the big main reason I'm talking to you is because of Runfest Run. So I think it's probably mm-hmm. let's let's talk about that bit first cuz that's um pretty amazing. That's happening on the 20th of May. I'm going to it. I know you're going Brilliant. to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> um, looking forward to it. I bet you are, because you've been involved right from the start, haven't you? Yeah,
1: yeah. And the first one was, it was magical. And um, I think so many people had so much fun and immediately were booking for the next one. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. Yeah. And I know they had to work so, so hard to make it happen um, last year in collaboration with CarFest. And again, people were just so happy to be there. And it's just such a great spirit and yeah. atmosphere around the event. Um, and it's what I love about it. It's it's very family orientated and family fun orientated. So there's there's something for every member of the family. And no one feels like they're compromising what they want from a fun weekend for somebody else uh, and it all comes together and works so well so you can tailor your running event to every single event if you're a really keen runner and be Basically, don't stop running, um, or just do the fun runs, or just come along and do some family on track events. Plus the big bug fun run, and then this year we're having a night run as well. So the first one we had kind of like a twilight run, yeah,
0: I remember. which we
1: set off and then came back and the stage kicked off. Um, and they haven't really given us any details of the the, the fun of the night run, but I, I can imagine that's going to be really good fun because taking off around the, the grounds of its Englefield House, um, which I've never been to before, but I know is stunning Um, and I've been talking to Steve who's been looking at some of the roots and I think he's really excited about the roots that they can put in place there so it's going to be very very good and then of course all the music around it too. Yes
0: I've just heard about Sophie Ellis Baxter.
1: Yeah, Sophie Alex Baxter, there's Top Loader, Dick and Dom, and I think there's more still to be announced. Uh, and it's a, it's a great way to un, unwind at the end of the day, uh, kind of go and get some food, get a drink and just enjoy the music. And like yeah. I said, the kids can still be running around. There's different activities for them to be doing as they kind of drift in and out of attention to
0: the stage. Um, and, and it works really, really well i've just I, i'd never heard of anything like it before i don't know if there is anything like it i, I it's just you know when i first i've only been to that first one which was just down the road from us at the time and it was mm-hmm. um it just had that kind of you know I, I i'd said to myself like 20 years ago i am never ever going to a festival again you know it's just I've, I've had it and then you go to this one and obviously the kind of the emphasis is on running but it's on families it's on food um, mm-hmm. I like the fact that there's hammocks involved somewhere along the line. Yeah. It's just like, there's just, and it, you know, it's it's so inclusive as well. I, yeah, I, and
1: I think it was really embraced, wasn't it? Like they didn't know whether it was going to, to work as a, a running event. I don't know whether there was some kind of preconceived misconception that runners can't enjoy themselves and have fun and listen to music as well. <laughs> yeah. um, but it really worked so well together. And I think the camaraderie of distance running, really helped it do that and also the safety from a family aspect so my kids went off and found events that I didn't even know were happening my son (sighs) just called me said I'm going off to do a two and a half k and he (laughs) went and found that and I didn't know that was happening um and then when we ran the events you could run them together or they could run on their own and they could wait safely then in the in the finish area until i finished um to be able to hook up with them and, and find them again um so there was no worry mm. around parents and kids being able to go off and, and do their own thing which was nice that's
0: nice it, feels and it really wasn't safe. too big
1: was it, it wasn't no. too huge that you could get lost in so i think it worked very very well and it's kind of growing and adding bits i think there's a stretch zone and a recovery zone mm. this time and like you said the what i love is the kind of the not the emphasis but the availability of food and healthy mm. food and also treat healthy food um so it works because I mean runners have an excuse to to like and enjoy their food exactly um, and it's a great way to to find out what works for you and what works well as a fueling strategy as well
0: yeah, and I, I think I also, I love the idea that the, the sort of speakers that you have there that are, are coming on, they sort of represent. You know, you've got people like Lisa Jackson, who I've spoken to a lot, um, and and writes for the magazine, and but then you've also got Chrissy Wellington. You know, and Jenny Faulkner and, and it's that for for us, for, for women runners, you know, it's just lovely to have people that are kind of, you know, these pro athletes, but then also the kind of the normal real runners as well, you know, so there's kind of, you can be inspired by kind of a whole different layer of people if you want to be. So I think that's, that's just lovely for us, I think. Really yeah, good. no,
1: I think that's great. And you can be inspired by the people around you as well. Yeah. Um, and you make friends, I think, over, over the weekend, because we've all got something in common, because we're all sharing a lot of the music
0: and the, the festivals, but of running as well yeah yeah so I I mean that emphasis on on kids and families and stuff I think it's I mean it's great because it means like uh you know for our audience it means I mean it's an excuse to involve your family in your passion as well as anything else which is really lovely and to try and uh encourage your kids to to be as excited about running as as you are and to show them that it can be fun as well and not a slog definitely so like Why wasn't there anything like this when we were kids? (laughs) Because when I was growing up, there was nothing like that.
1: No, no. um, And I think, I don't know, because I kind of running was always fun for me um, and we did have some much smaller scale fun things, but it was, it was separate. So the adults could go off and do their half marathons mm-hmm. or their marathons and the kids could do like the village sports with the egg and spoon race and different things. And that was fun, mm. but I don't think there was anything that brought the family together. And I think that's um, something which was, there was a big hole uh, mm. and run fest filled that and people seized on, on the opportunity. And then if anything, for me the lockdown and, and the pandemic has kind of made all of that even more important now we've all kind of had that luxury or oh, difficulty for some of time spent with your family and kind of wanting to find fun um exercising activities that we can do together uh, mm-hmm. and also appreciating that quality time that we get to spend together um and now as kind of life hopefully starts regaining normality um, being able to keep that quality family time, I think, is really important to us all. We've understood that that's something that was maybe starting to get lost in the pace of life yeah. before. Um, yeah. So there was good. Th- there were good things that came out of the, the pandemic as well, and I think that's one of them.
0: Yeah, there, absolutely. I, I totally agree. There are some. There are some small silver linings, but we need to hold yeah. on to those ones. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I mean, yeah, you touched on running. You know, when you when you were a kid and how you saw it as being fun you were encouraged to do some kind of quite intense running quite early on. You were you were sort of competing um, early on. What was that like for you as a kid then? Was it, did it feel intense? Did it feel fun? No, um, it was fun. Um, and I
1: think from the beginning it was fun. I mean, I used to, as I said, take part in the, the local village sports and um, sports at schools and I had a friend who was a year older than me who was already a member of the local athletics club which was Frogsham Harriers there Um, and so basically I went home and I said to my dad okay as soon as I'm old enough I want to join the club so he took me down there and I joined up and that was once a week and I loved it Um, and then when I was 11 we moved down to Bedford and the first thing my dad did was research all the local athletics clubs and he found Alec and Rosemary Stanton at Bedford County. Um, and one of the best things he did there, because I went along and joined the group, again, loved it. Kind of my parents and Alec were very good in that they let me set the pace of, of how serious I wanted to be or any of the other girls wanted to be.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: according to how much we enjoyed it. So I can remember after my first national cross country, I was 299th. I was really pleased because my dad pointed out I was in the first half of the field. There were 605 under 13 girls <laughs> that day. And um, I on the bus home my coach came up to my mom and said well does paula want to come running uh, twice a week um and she could then be part of a team that i'm trying to get built up to to win the national cross-country title the next year and so she turned around to him and said well why are you asking me it's her that you need to ask and Um. so the fact that he thought i was good enough to make that team because i hadn't been in the scoring team that day um was enough for me to kick judo to the curb uh, and go twice (laughs) a week to athletics um and i think where Alec was very, very smart and still is with the group that he coaches, even though he's 80, I think it's about 87. Um, so he's still down at the track on, on Tuesday and Thursday nights with the girls. Um, and what he did was focus on quality rather than quantity. So what we learned to do was kind of to hone that racing experience in, mm. also sometimes in training because it would be fun-wise racing each other and getting the most out of the training, but it wasn't huge quantities didn't take a huge amount of time out of an 11-year-old's week, um, 12-year-old's week. That would be maximum two hours uh, of the week doing that and then racing at the weekends if we wanted to. Um, But it taught us the skills of racing and being part of a team as well taught me all the good things that sport and, and racing can bring you without ever the pressure being just on me alone
0: mm-hmm. it was always
1: spread across the team and I think the fact that we did then win that national cross-country title the following year and I was fourth really brought home to me the lesson that the better that you prepare and the better that you harder that you work for something the more likely you are to to achieve it and so was was the focus then um purely on cross country um no it was cross country and track in the in the summer um but I think cross country was for me my first love I just um still do love the the feeling of it and um just being able to to tune into your body and to race the course and the people around you and not worry too much about times and split times um and things like that and I think it it suited my strengths and I was lucky that I found it very early on and it's also it it was fun to me. I mean, I took my son along to the local um, cross, uh, departmental cross here in in France last week. And I was looking around and I said, but this isn't, where, where's the mud? There's no, this, this isn't proper cross country. <laughs> and they said to me, but you don't like that. I said, yeah, kids love it. Kids love to be having fun, running around in the mud, sliding down, jumping over ditches and, and things like that. It adds an element of fun to it that, there weren't a lot of things like that when I was growing up. There wasn't a huge choice of sports that for me, I was like, okay, that would be fun to go and do. Um, And so that's why I think I I really love cross country. And I think the training and the grounding that it gave me stood me in really good stead for the marathon later on.
0: Do you, do you prefer cross country to road racing then?
1: No, I I love road racing as well. And I think it's because the, the nature of them, the, the the nature of both are very, very similar. Mm -hmm. Um, it is about knowing the course and about running to your strengths on different parts of the course and really particularly in the marathon and the cross country it's about judging your body Um, so it's not about running a specific pace all the way through it's about being able to manage that pace on different parts of the course and different elements of the course where you can run faster and where you can run stronger and knowing what those are so um, I think all of that teaching that cross-country gave me without me realizing it. I didn't know what I was learning I just thought I was having fun racing um but that really helped me to know my body very well and to know my strengths and weaknesses when it came to the marathon and to be very confident in judging my pace to get it right to get the most out of myself in the marathon
0: yeah, I think it, it seems to, I mean, I was talking to a runner over the weekend who was talking about it being such brilliant training for road runners to do cross-country just because of the different skills and techniques that you need to, the strengths that you need to build up and the kind of, you know, the ways in which you're, you know, the proprioception, all that kind of stuff that you build up when you're running cross-country, which you won't do if you just continuously run on road, um, which mm-hmm. is, for me, someone that is terrified of, a, the cold, B, the mud. It, it, it feels like <laughs> a very alien concept. It's a, different, it's a
1: different type of feeling, though, when you have the, the spikes on. And that's what I was explaining to to Ralph last week. Um, like if you run downhill in trainers on mud, you're going to be scared and yeah. even a top cross-country runner will because you're going to slip um but if you run down in the proper spikes there's a confidence uh, that, that gives you and it's learning then to be able to let yourself go and to go with it and trusting that the spikes are going to do it and the only way you do it is by putting them on and, and getting it right and trying it
0: yeah fair enough fair enough um to, to just talk about something ever so slightly political and uh, it's not because I want to be controversial here at all, I promise. Um, But I I know that um, you're quite vocal about keeping the cross country distances different for men and women. um, Yeah. And that they not necessarily keeping it different. I just don't see why the women's event has to change
1: to be exactly the same as the men's. When for me, uh, and for a lot of Elite female cross country runners. Our distance is a better distance than the men, so why should we give that up in mm. the name of equality? When we don't feel like we're being hard done by, we don't feel like we're disadvantaged. We feel like we've got the best deal. Um, so that's that's why I think I think the eight k distance brings together. And it didn't used to be that. <clears throat> it used to be a lot shorter, and it needed to get longer. But it doesn't need to go longer than that because at the moment it brings together the top races from fifteen hundred meters up to the marathon. Um, And the men's side doesn't do that. And what we then see is a huge domination of the African runners and the African specialists over um, 10K, really, and half marathon at the cross-country. And it's very, very hard for, say, a 21-year-old European to break through and to to be able to be competitive on the international stage at that level. So I think on the women's side, we see it a lot more competitive. um, And that transition is, is made easier and I really don't see a need to, to compromise that. I'm a big believer in equal rights and equal opportunities, but I don't think we should make everything the same across the board because that would make life boring. There are lots of things that are better because they are different. Um, and we are different to, to a male athlete. And I don't think that's anything we should be ashamed of or try and make exactly the same. I think we should just celebrate the fact that we've had the chance to pick the event that works for us uh, and to make it work. And also cross-country isn't about the distance, so it doesn't really matter if it's 7,800 or 8,500. It's more about having the key elements of cross-country in the course um, and and celebrating that. And I think one of the big things for me that is important about cross-country is that competitiveness and and that coming together so you get the chance to race somebody that you might never race on the track or the road.
0: Mm. Okay, so talk to me as if I really don't know anything because I really don't know anything about cross country. I'm a, I, uh, it's, I am blindfolded when it comes to this. So, so why is it that it's always been the case that marathon distance is just marathon distance for men and women, and cross country is different?
1: Um, I think it's the the, the heritage and the, and the tradition be, behind cross country. Um, so, as far as I know, there's never been. Anything against women running cross country? Certainly, they've been women running cross country a lot longer than they were allowed yeah. to run the marathon. And the marathon kind of came in, and then women were allowed to run it first time in the championships. I think it was 1983 in the world yeah. championships when Greta Weitz won, um, which was long, long overdue. And that was something that women were being was being taken away from them, and indeed from 800 to upwards to begin with, and then mm. 1500 m- upwards. It was a long time before the longer distances came in um, for women, and there was no physiological reason that they couldn't compete at it, whereas cross-country, they were competing, and, yes, the distances needed to to evolve a little bit, um, but it wasn't ever taken away, and I would never felt ever once as a child that I was losing out because I was a girl and my brother had something that I didn't. In fact, sometimes I thought, well, that's a bit unfair. He's running further than he's actually capable of having an enjoyable race, and is that why my brother gave up cross-country before I did? because as an under-15 boy, he was maybe running a little bit too far. So I just mm. felt like the argument was being looked at wrongly and we shouldn't just put inequality for the sake of it. We should look at what's right for the kids' development. And then when you get to adults and seniors, you look at what's right for the athletes actually doing the racing. And if we're talking about mass races, then that's mm. fine. I don't have a problem with putting on a mass 10K race for everybody on the cross-country. But when you start trying to mess around with elite racing, at uh, the European level and the world level the european level in particular britain has had huge successes mm. and european um uh, the european what do you call them? athletics did a huge survey and across europe women wanted it to stay as it is at yeah. that distance um
0: so then i think you've, you've got to
1: listen to your market okay cool
0: thank you i just really wanted to yeah i really wanted to know that um right, I, I need to talk about marathon i have to talk about marathon mm-hmm. i've got you in front of me so right there are so many of them, um, and they're so glorious. And of course, you held the world record in marathon for, for 17 years, which is amazing. Um, and be- between, I've got down here my little notes here between 2002 and 2008, you dominated the marathon distance. I mean, this is amazing. So well, I want to know what happens before 2002, before the Chicago marathon. What was your training like in the lead up to it? Did you know that that was going to happen?
1: Um, so my first marathon ever was the London Marathon in 2002. And, um, we really went into that kind of, <clears throat> I'd be lying if I say saying we went totally into the unknown because we'd done a lot of, of research. Alec had done a lot of studying of, of, of marathon training. We'd been over the course lots. We'd worked together with Andy Jones and we knew that my physiology was suited towards the marathon uh, and always had been. Uh, and so it was kind of a, a long term plan Um, but what we both decided was that I wasn't going to move to the marathon until I wanted to do it because Mm -hmm. it is a tough event it's a very challenging event and I think unless you're all in uh, the first experience is not likely to go well unless you're fully invested and fully prepared into it but at the same time I also went into that first marathon with okay if I screw it up it's my first one I can kind of play around um a little bit and I'm going to get the answer am I good at the marathon or not? Because as much as on paper you can be, it has to pan out in the race and you yeah. have to take to it and, and to to judge it well because the marathon is like that. And some people on paper might be excellent marathon runners but can never quite get it right in a race. So um, I think I went in with a little bit of anticipation as well because I really wanted to, to be good at it and to enjoy it. Um, so we didn't really have a specific race plan. We knew that we trained well and I was in good shape. And um, then Alex said, just just go with it, just run with the group and enjoy it and just basically feel it out. And if at some point in the second half you want to get moving, um, then you can do that. But really don't worry about any t- times or mile splits or anything, just mm-hmm. race this one. Um, and then I ended up with a lead at seven miles through Cutty Sark and I looked behind and I thought, oh, I didn't intend to do that. I think it was just the crowd was so noisy through there. <laughs> that that spurred me on and I built up a lead without um, realizing it. And one of the things my dad had always said to me growing up was, if, if you have a lead, don't throw it away because that's <sighs> just a mental pick me up to everybody that catches you up again. And so I thought, okay, well, it wasn't part of the plan, but I've done it now. So um, I might as well keep going with this one. And I really kind of, I would not say playing, because I was working hard and I was putting in everything that we'd trained hard to be able to do but I wasn't thinking about any particular targets and it was only when I turned onto the mall and I saw the (laughs) clock and I saw the clock said 218 I thought the world record is 218 and I had no idea I had no idea that I was that close to it so I crossed the line and I immediately said to to Gary and Ali I said "I, I can get that world record And so then we planned for Chicago. So a lot of the summer of 2002 was done with an eye on the Commonwealth Games and the European Championships because I hadn't won anything on the track and I wanted Mm -hmm. to do that, but also with a bigger eye on getting it right for Chicago. So that influenced my decision not to double up at the European Championships on the track and just to take four or five days off and then get into the um, build-up for Chicago. Uh, And I think then knowing what we did know from the training and what had worked and what maybe hadn't worked going into London, we were able to kind of assess that I was a little bit further on than I had been in London by the time that I went into Chicago. So that really helped.
0: Yeah, I, um, I was thinking, um, uh, bringing it all back to me, which I always do, um, I was thinking about whenever I run a race, I used to have a bit of a thing where I would watch um, – chariots of fire right before I, before I race mm-hmm. to kind of get me all in the sort of running mood um but more recently it's just run it's just watching that last bit of you when you get the world record in london when you do when you run that last bit down the mall and it never fails i'm going to really try not to here but it never fails to make me well up because it's it's there's that mixture of joy and pain which I think is just sort of, <laughs> it's like oh my god and even when you're watching when you know what happens at the end you're still like going oh my god oh my god oh my god <laughs> and looking at the clock because <laughs> it is it... can you remember it can you remember it as clearly as I can <laughs> because yeah I'm...
1: yeah I mean I think that's one of the areas where I'm really blessed to have been a marathon runner um I mean, if you're Usain Bolt and you set a world record you've no idea you've set the world record till you've crossed the line and looked at the clock um, but when I was running in the marathon, when I was running in Chicago and when I was running in London, I knew for the last mile that I was going to set the world record. Um, so at the same time, I was trying to push my body on as hard as I could to be able to, to set a, a time that would stand for as long as possible and to get every last bit of energy out of myself, but also saying, OK, like this is a huge experience make sure that you take in the memories as well um and they i mean the london crowd is phenomenal and i think is hugely instrumental in the fact that i I set that record there in the first place and that i always ran so well in london the support that i got was amazing and i couldn't hear myself breathing which is probably a good thing because i was breathing pretty hard um and it's just it's just like a wall of noise and of energy um and of course, when you know that you're going to break the world record as well, that's an extra bit of energy um, coming from somewhere to help you try, try and kind of get a little bit more out of myself. Uh, and then running up the mile, I mean, when the London Marathon is something that you've grown up watching since that first London Marathon back in 81, and then watching my dad run it, um, to actually find yourself running up that iconic finishing straight with Buckingham Palace in the background, obviously, you don't really quickly take it in when you're finishing around there but um to, to actually find yourself doing that and setting a world record is for a british athlete i don't think there's much better feeling than that i mean i would have loved to have been able to compete in the olympic games on home soil and see what that felt like but nothing for me could beat that feeling that i had that day and it's kind of like everything's hurting but everything feels amazing at the same time and if they'd moved the finish line another 100 meters back up the road you would be able to i would be able to do it um because it's weird it's just like you cross the finish line you suddenly realize how exhausted you are and everything stops and even to walk or try and warm down is hard Mm. but if they did move it then that energy you would be able to keep going would you not another mile but another (laughs) hundred meters you would be able to (laughs)
0: what what was it like afterwards what was the i want to know what the pressure was like there must have been i mean obviously you have the euphoria of it and and all of that um but i just assume it must be pretty intense (laughs) the pressure to maintain that record, that pace, you know, to, to, to carry on, to kind of break more records, to do more things. Did that felt um, pressure? I don't
1: know. I don't know if I felt that. Um, I think I thought, I remember when I crossed the finish line, Dave Bedford came up to me and said, I don't think I'm going to see anybody beat that time in my lifetime And I just turned around to him and said, well, what are you on about? I'll beat it next year. (laughs) Um, So I did did think I could go quicker at that point. um, But I also didn't feel a pressure that I had to. Um, I think I felt like, okay, that's, there's a little bit of, not an anti-climax, but a little bit of, okay, that's a goal ticked off. Mm. I'm not going to let myself get caught up too much in the importance of that because it's ticked off. I'm going to celebrate it a bit now, and then I'm going to move on to the next target. And the next target for me was the Olympic Games. Mm. And that then didn't work out. So that, for me, was a much mm-hmm. bigger pressure and much harder to deal with, something not working out than something working out. Because I, I had the world record, I'd done that, and whether I improved it or not, there were other areas that I could concentrate on um, improving and running quicker. Uh, And so I wanted to keep trying to to run faster on the track and I wanted to run faster over that distance, but I didn't feel that as a pressure. I know that Gary felt a lot of pressure um, because suddenly there were a lot more demands on me, um, which was harder for him to to manage and to juggle with. And also he Mm. was my manager and it was a lot um, as well as a training partner and as well as a a race manager Um, so that all became a little bit too much so we had to learn to manage those pressures um, and kind of take on help uh, with that so it wasn't all stuck on him and there were times where he could just have me as his wife and it wasn't a pressure of me kind of just only being there as a a runner and as an athlete yeah
0: Um, and I mean with with all these with all the marathons that you've you've run do you have a do you have like a favorite one in terms of like the course itself or do you have a favorite one in terms of like the memory of that race day
1: um i have a couple um i mean i i, I love all of them um and they're all special in their own rights um but London, I think, obviously, because of the things I've talked about, because it's the race that inspired me to take up running in the mm-hmm. first place when I saw Ingrid Christensen setting the world record. Uh, it's the race that I grew up. It feels for me like it's my connection with my dad as well, because that's, he was the one who was running it that first time and supported me so much through all of them. And um, because of the London crowd, and as a British person, as I've said, it's there, there's nothing that can beat that feeling of setting the world record in the London Marathon. Um, but New York, for me, is also... A very special race. Um, I love New York as a city. Um, I'd set uh, myself a target of winning all of the distances in New York from the Fifth Avenue mile through the 10k, the half and the marathon. Um, And I was able to do that. But also for me, it was my pick-me-up city. It was my feel-better city. So it was the one I went to in 2004 after Athens. I went back in 2007 after I'd had Isla uh, and I won there. And then I went back in 2008 after the Olympics didn't work out again for me. Um, And it was always a place where I could get back to and have fun. Uh, And it's still a place that I get to. And the first thing that I want to do is put some running shoes on and go run in Central Park. Um, It's just a live place to to run. And so
0: that's why I I really like it. So... What what does it feel like? What did it feel like with the London Marathon record when that went, when Bridget took it? How, how does that feel? Do you feel like, I mean, were you just like, I mean, it, no one, you know, for 17 years to have a, a record that's not broken, I mean, that's, it, it's almost unbelievable. It, it's just, it's incredible. But it must have felt like quite a loss to not have it anymore. Um. I- it was
1: weird because I think when you set a record, you don't expect to hold it forever. Um, and that's the nature of records. But then because mm. I had held it for so long, it had started to become a little bit like some part of the family. Um, or maybe I'm always going to have it or maybe I'll be 50 and I'll still have it. Um, so you don't really know. And then a lot of people could, we could see the writing on the wall because of the shape that Bridget was in and she'd come out and raced the Great North Run. Mm. Um, and when she started the race, you could see that if she was able to, hold it together after the really fast early pace, and she was going to break the record. Um, and so I think a part of me was thinking, oh, well, you, you don't know what it's going to feel like. So is this going to feel really strange? Mm. And I was in the tent um, at the uh, start-finish area in Chicago because Kerry always invites me back out there. Um, and Dave Bedford was sat there, and he looked across at me, and he laughed, and he said, you know, you're going to be exactly the same person in half an hour. <laughs> um, and he's so right because I think a lot of people watching me are thinking like, is my head going to turn blue or am I going to fall on the floor or something if I'm not the world record holder anymore? Yeah. And then it actually happens, you think, oh, it's a little bit like when you set it and I said there's a bit of an anticlimax. Well, this was like a little bit of that, but the other way, I think you're expecting it to be way worse than it is. Yeah. And I actually just walk away and think, well, I'm still exactly the same person <laughs> and it's still my personal best. It's just that someone's run faster and someone was always going to do that. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's kind of the nature of sport is that things should move forward um, and keeps people motivated, I guess, and keeps people interested in in watching sport uh, and seeing it unfold. It would be boring if the same world record stood forever and ever and ever. So much as I would like to still hold it, I kind of understand that as well. Yeah. There needs to be some kind of new target and, and moving on in the sport. So, yeah, it, it definitely was something that I thought was going to be way worse than it was.
0: Mm, yeah. So um, if we're talking about the sport moving on... What runners are around at the moment that are are inspiring you or, or kind of exciting you? Um,
1: oh wow! I think I think there's a lot. I mean, I think our young crop of 800 meter runners at the minute with, with Keely Hodgkinson and the way that she ran in the Olympics with Gemma Riki backing mm. her up, Alex Bell still coming through. And it's they're, they're all at different levels in their and um, different times in their career, but I think it's really exciting time. For middle distance running in particular in the UK, male and female at the moment. Um, To see Laura Muir finally getting herself onto a podium at the World Championships, I think it's just going to open the floodgates moving forward. To see Josh Kerr getting up there and getting a medal, I think that's really good. And I think we've got that um, talent depth and belief in the youngsters coming through that they can be competitive on a global stage that has maybe been missing a little bit certainly on the male side for for a while and it's it's now starting to come back and I think that's really exciting to watch uh, and to get involved in. so yeah there's a lot of young talent I think globally as as well Inga Britson is a huge talent um, watching Yakov race and the kind of cheekiness and audacity and confidence that's almost arrogance at sometimes but it's just very exciting to watch as as well uh, and i think that's what as fans of the sport we enjoy doing we enjoy watching someone like jacob cublimo come out and race really well
0: mm.
1: and be kind of inspiring but also be having fun with it um and make it interesting for us to watch uh, as well as to race
0: against yeah, that feels like it's the kind of the two things, isn't it? It's the, the inspiration and, and also the fun, like you say. Um, I mean, how, because I think, I mean, there's, there's something wonderful about watching athletics like that, something so kind of uplifting. Um, but how can we, are there, are there other things that we can do um to perhaps encourage more more girls to maintain sport in primary and secondary because that's I always think that that's you know there's a huge drop-off isn't there and it's um and I I had that at school it was you know a really upsetting PE experience what can we draw from that how can we encourage them to to carry on
1: I think there's there's a lot of things that we can do and I think in some ways the the pandemic made it worse and in some Ways, it might have actually helped with, with girls a little bit because it might have given them more time and more flexibility in the day to do their sport and do their activity on their own terms. Um, and I think girls going through, the bodies are going through a lot of changes. There's a lot of different peer pressures that are maybe slightly different on the on the male side. So the boys are quite happy to go and have a kick around and park with, the, with their mates. Um, the girls, that might not be what they want to do. So it, it's kind of about making exercise and activity work for them Mm. uh, and getting them to understand and to see that because it's it's what happens later on when they get to university and decide, oh, if I go out for a run, it can actually help me focus more on my work and manage university life better, work on my mental health and my physical health and achieve that um, physique that people are trying to achieve by not eating properly uh, and things like that. Mm. Um, But that kind of gets lost in that period of 13 to 18 when we've got to be really careful not to force girls to do it, but it has to be fun. They have to want to do it and they have to be able to, to get something out of it for them. So there needs, needs to be a little bit of, um, tailing of it, I think, to, to fit. Um, but I think on the male side, I think the pandemic will have hit them even harder because that organized sport hasn't been there. Mm. Um, and kids, particularly the younger kids, like 13 to 15 are not used to being out of shape and having to get back in shape. It just doesn't happen. They usually keep that same level of fitness. And that's what happens when girls drop out. Their bodies change a little bit. They stop and then they don't get back into it. Mm. Um, but now I think we're going to see it for both sexes coming out of the pandemic. And I think it's going to be something that we're going to have to work hard um, on encouraging because we want those kids that stop doing sport to get back into it. And they're going to need some encouragement and some help, I think, in doing that.
0: So, yeah. Um- I mean, the, yeah, the emphasis on fun, yeah, again, is yeah, it, it is so important. But how do you, as a grown-up now, how do you find the fun in your training? What do you do that makes your training fun?
1: Um, I think just being able to to make it what I want for it um, in each run. Um, so sometimes, if I really want to rediscover the fun, I'll go for a run with my kids, and we'll just let them mess around and let them do the things. So they pick how far we're going to sprint to, and they can beat me at those things. And we'll go around a twisty course. And I'll go exploring off on a trail run um, and just think, oh, okay, now I've got time. I'm just going to see where this trail goes uh, and where it goes to. Um, so it's a different kind of, of fun to, to what it would have been when it was fun, but it also had a purpose. Mm. So each training run had a specific thing that I was trying to achieve from it. Now I'm not. I'm just going out for fun. So I can really just do whatever I want. I can go on autopilot, um and isla said to me the other day she said um we were driving and i was supposed to be taking her somewhere and i went the wrong way uh and i went the way that i always take her to hockey training every week and she said well why did you do that and i said oh i just must have been autopilot and i wasn't concentrating and she said oh but you do that on runs all the time and i do (laughs) i just i'm i don't go out with a plan of where i'm going And I don't consciously think I'm going to go that way. I just run and see where it takes me. Um, And that, for me, is a little bit of fun because I I know I'm not lost. I've got a very good sense of direction, so I know roughly where I am. Mm. Um, And I'm just exploring. And that has been always fun for me, even when I was little. But then I would obviously explore (laughs) with my dad or with somebody, so I didn't get completely
0: lost. Uh,
1: Are you ever going to run another marathon? Um, Yes, because I still have... um, more on my bucket list to finish the, the marathon majors. So I'm still missing Tokyo and Boston. I kind of loosely made a promise with Joan Benoit Samuelson to run Tokyo together because she's also missing Tokyo. Um, in 20, right when the pandemic hit. So it would have been 20. 20- 19 or 2020 Mm. um we haven't been able to do that yet and I'm also missing Boston so I would love to do those two I don't think there's any goal to to race them competitively well I know there isn't um but it would be more for an experience for me so something like the honor of being able to run with Joni or to run with someone to help them get a personal best that's kind of where I enjoy racing when I race now it's not really racing for me it's racing to help other people get more out of the race and more enjoyment because I'm let's face it never going to touch my pbs again unless i reset them all
0: (laughs) (laughs) we'll do that then um i I also i just wanted to um almost lastly just touch on families on track which i was looking at um which looks like a Uh, an incredible endeavour. Can you explain what that is about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's, again, just um, a concept that I came up with. The kids kind of asked and said, why don't you arrange or organise something like this? And I am really passionate about family time and about families being able to spend quality time together and the importance of physical activity and physical activity, brings so much to to mental as well as um, physical well-being and to that bonding of the family um, and just feeling better to achieving better in school, um, to learning what works for you and how to support other people and how to ask for support yourself. Um, So it was kind of trying to bring all of those things together in a fun day out for the family. So we didn't want to make it ultra-competitive, although there is kind of an understanding that amongst the family, there will be some competition and certainly the brother and sister are going to try and beat each other around the loops. <laughs> They'll laugh if they run faster than the dad. And that's naturally going to happen. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but we don't have winners really on the day in terms of the time for completing the 10K. It is about the family coming together as a family unit all ages even grandparents can join in grandkids can be running around like we let them in pretty small because the smallest loop is only 250 meters mm. um and you can do that with an adult if they, if the kids are really small uh, and it's just about getting that taster and the aim is that they go home from the event thinking i really enjoyed that i didn't think i liked running but i really enjoyed that and i spent some great time with my family and now we're going to go out every weekend and spend some time running together Um, as a family unit. uh, And that's, I guess, the the, the goal that I'm trying to get to.
0: So how can we get involved in that? How do we, how do we join in? We
1: have got families on track events across um, the day at Runfest Run, um, across the weekend. Sorry. So I think we've got about eight waves of Ah. of that going on at different times. And we mix it up. We have some 5Ks and some 10Ks. Um, So that's going to be our biggest event is uh, at Rumfest Run. So that's the 20th to the 22nd of May, Englefield House (laughs) near Reading in Berkshire. And then we've also got Durham, which was our first one Mm in 2019 on July the 16th. We've got an event in Newcastle in August. And then we're going back to Worcester again on September the 4th.
0: Oh absolutely brilliant lots of ways we can get involved so that's um that's really exciting. Yeah. Um I just wanted to like just to round it all off. I just want to ask uh, looking back over I mean it feels awful to say looking back because that makes you sound as though <laughs> like you mean you're your doted you're my age. However <laughs> looking back at your career so far and and all the other like the other kind of things the disparate things that you've achieved as well over the you know however many years what makes you most proud? What, what, What's the highlight of your career? My you kids. Ah. Oh, my
1: career. Um, no, I mean, I, I think absolutely of my life, it, it, it's my kids. And, mm. um, it's, yeah, just trying to, seeing them develop and trying to support and help them uh, as much as possible. And I think of my career, it, it's It's really, really hard to pick a, a highlight because the obvious highlight is the world record. Mm. Um but then winning the world championships for me in 2005 was was massive because it was off the back of what had happened um, in Athens. So it's kind of me proving that, yeah, Athens was because I got it wrong and I got hurt um, and not because I can't perform on a global stage and I can't win a world championship level race um, over the marathon distance. Um so that was important. It was also important because it was in Helsinki and that was where Greta Weitz had won the first ever women's marathon. So that was important for me and my grounding and my inspirations getting into running. Um, and winning the world cross country in 2001 was a massive thing for me. I set a goal of trying to win the senior world cross country title when I'd achieved my goal of winning the junior one in 1992 yeah. and it took me from 1992 to, to 2001 and there were a lot of seconds and thirds and fourths and eighteenths and fifths and I felt like oh am I ever going to be able to win it and then I won it that day in what felt like a sprint finish it wasn't really a sprint finish because it was into the teeth of the wind and knee deep in mud yeah um but it was in the finishing straight and everybody had always said that I couldn't um, out sprint the Ethiopian girls uh, and I did that day. So I think that will always be a personal highlight to me and we talked about my love of cross-country and also winning that day is what enabled me to kind of tick that off and say, okay, now I can move my focus to the road and to the marathon because I've achieved what I wanted to do on the cross-country and I think it would have been harder for me to mentally go all into the marathon if I hadn't have won that day i did go on to defend it again the next year in in dublin which was maybe a little bit of the pressure being off as well and it's kind of now my main focus is on the marathon so this is a bonus if it comes uh, and it did come but to be able to to win that in 2001 i think was a big turning point in my career
0: oh fantastic god it's been an Absolute inspiration to talk to you, Paul. I thank you so much for chatting to me. I feel um, no problem at all. Thank you. I honestly can't wait to tell my mum. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an absolute highlight of my career has been talking to you. I think so. Um, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Do please email us at wrpodcast at anthem. With any questions or any running stories as we'd love to include them in a future podcast. This podcast was recorded using Zencaster. The editor and composer was David Newman. Please hit like and subscribe that way you won't miss the next episode. If you like the podcast, you will love Women's Running Magazine. This February you can become a member for just 9.99 every 3 months saving a third off the cover price just go to shop.womensrunning.co.uk and enter feb 22 wr pod at the checkout happy running